Okay there, saints. Here we are. Exodus chapter 28. Now with the pace that we've been going recently over the, in the next couple of chapters, those of you that thought we were going to continue on that pace, we're going to a little bit of a change. Um, we're looking at, in chapters 28 and chapter 29 here of Exodus, um, areas dealing with the priest. We're going to see in chapter 28 the outward garments, the outward picture, if you will, of the, the, the ministry, the righteousness of the priest. And then in chapter 29, you're dealing with the consecration, the inward picture. So you've got a surface look at the ministry, then you've got the inter internal work of the ministry. So external, internal is what we're looking at. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into our study, and we'll get as far as we can my goal is, believe it or not, to get through the chapter, but we'll see how far we go. Father, we are so grateful by just coming into this place and just receiving, Lord, the, the prayer that was opening up to ask for your presence, ask for your blessing, to ask for, Lord, just that ministry of your spoken word that we would see you, Jesus. How precious is that? That we can come and all of us can be united in prayer and just, just in agreement that, Lord, we so desperately want to see your Son as we look into your Word. And then we worship, Lord. We worship and then we're just led through the Spirit into that place of your heart that we sing such amazing words as God estranged from God and the, the power of those things where we cry out propitiation is one and Lord we just look to these truths and we, we worship and we adore you and, and then Father we come to this place of looking to your word to find instruction to find the power to find just the, the moving of your spirit to direct our lives and to move and Lord, all these things are, are not just random. These are not just things that, hey, this sounds good to insert here. But Father, they're, they're, they're purposely set so that we can get the fullness out of this time. So that your, your presence is here. That you're worshipped and you're glorified. And Father, if we leave and, and you are glorified, we have succeeded in our purpose coming here. Not just to gain information, but truly to see you exalted, to yes. see your word magnified, and to see your word challenge us and move us. Yes. And so tonight, as always, Father, just give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, chapter 28. It begins this. Now, remember where we just wound up. We wound up dealing with that whole area of the tabernacle. We've noted, of course, that that tabernacle was given by instruction. And that tabernacle, according to Hebrews, is the copy and the type of the true tabernacle in heaven. The last thing that we looked at there in chapter 27, verses 20 and 21, was that pure olive oil. And we looked at that being the very end of that point of here's the power of the ministry of Jesus so we saw that being the end where everything he did the spirit of the Lord was upon him and that spirit of the Lord enabled him to do all the things that he did but then we saw how he says I'm going to give that same spirit that is upon me to you as the church that you can now be drawn inward and so this is what we're doing we've seen how Jesus started the Holy of Holies, being the form of God, not considered robbery to be equal with God. He comes out to the place of the 
altar where the, the, the blood is shed, the sacrifice, our acceptance. And of course, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us as we work ourselves in. And this is where that ministry, the priest begins to show us this is how we now come back to God. It doesn't start until Jesus comes and sacrifices himself, mind you. We don't start the journey. Jesus already did the journey. Now we begin to work ourselves back, and the scripture really points out the heart. Chapter 28 is going to deal with this external. Um, chapter 29 will deal with the internal, but it, it, it's so good for anyone who's in the ministry. Now you're saying, Lowly, you're the only one in this room that's in the ministry, and I would challenge you in that. Do you have the, the ministry of a husband? Do you have the ministry of a wife? Do you have the ministry of a parent? Do you have the ministry of a friend? Do you have the ministry of, of, a, of a child who's honoring your parents? Every one of us have a ministry, and this tells us what our ministry is. This tells us the, the foundations of our ministry. So let me just just take away that notion, lest you thought I was the only one in the ministry. We all have ministries. And, and my foundation does not deviate from your foundation. If you want your ministry to glorify God, then by all means, focus on this next chapter. If you just want your ministry to be whatever you want it to be, and you don't care about God's glory, then just do what you want to do. You know, it's, I can't change that. But as we're looking here in chapter 28, it begins this, now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garment to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make. Verse four, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. And they shall take the gold, the purple, and the scarlet thread, and the fine linen. I want to pause there for just a second because I want you to see here that we're looking at simply the garments. And this is what's so important that we're seeing this is an external. This is the surface not the deep stuff, but the surface of what do you want to do as you minister. And, and I think it's important to recognize here that we're seeing here this whole area of these are the garments. This is the robe, if you will. We talked about the robe of righteousness that we have in Christ. But these are the garments that we place on. And in, in the same way as, as when in, in Ephesians you put on the whole armor of God, that kind of thing. These are the same things. If you do that mentally, if you do that spiritually, you begin to understand, okay, Lord, now I, I can walk in this ministry in a way that would glorify you. I want to share with you just a couple of passages dealing with the ministry. The first passage I want to give you is found in the, the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, 
I want to read verses 5 and I want to read verse 9. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it makes this statement. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. All right, now you understand. I'm not the only one in the ministry. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So everything that we do has to be on the foundation of what we do unto the Lord, what we do to the Lord. And then in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So once you've been saved, now all of a sudden, guess what? You're in the ministry. That's the way it is. Are you saved? You're in the ministry. Are you not saved? Then let me talk, talk to me afterwards to get you saved. This is the, the whole heart of it. And But I want you to understand that every one of us, according to Scripture, we are part of this royal priesthood. The second thing that I want you to understand about the priesthood is this. It's actually the, the truth of it is found in Hebrews chapter 7. There's a couple of verses that I need to give to you. The first in Hebrews chapter 7 is found in verse 11. It says this, Therefore, if perfection, and I want you to understand, I want to pause it for just a second, if perfection, um, I want you to jump right now. We'll go back to verse 11 again, but I want to read you just this first 28 of chapter 7 of Hebrews. Verse 28 says, For the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses. So, just as, a, as a, an example here, you have to understand that your ministry, like my ministry, is based on and is done with people who have weaknesses. Now, you may say, I don't have a weakness in my ministry. Talk to me afterwards, I'll help correct you. Um, but we understand that we all have weaknesses. And so verse 11 makes this statement, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for that the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Now, what the author of Hebrews begins to try to direct us to is that there was a priesthood that is perfect, and that's the priesthood that Jesus Christ belongs to. He belongs to the priesthood of an order of Melchizedek. Now, understand, the order of Melchizedek predated Aaron and his priesthood, and also then so Aaron is like this little comma, this little dash that's in the middle of this beautiful Melchizedekian priesthood. Now in it we understand it started in Genesis where Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. And Jesus as a type of that or Melchizedek as a type of Jesus. We begin to see that here there is this better priesthood, this perfect priesthood, the order of Melchizedek. And of course Jesus you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So it talks about here, there's a weakness in the Aaronic priesthood. There's a weakness in what we're going to be looking at today. 
So make no mistake that we're going to see this. This is how we come to God. But also make no mistake that we come in weakness. We come not perfect in our ministries. We come perfect, of course, in God's eyes. Through Christ we are perfect, but in our ministries we fail so desperately on this side. So as we go through this, I don't want you to think that if you do this perfectly, you'll never make mistakes. What I'm saying is this, that if you make this the foundation of your ministries, you're going to glorify God. Not, not make a mistake, you're going to glorify God. And so this is the key to what the ministry is. So we understand perfection is not through the Aaronic priesthood. That's why Jesus didn't come through the Aaronic priesthood. Jesus had to come through another one, not the one that had the imperfection. Now, if you jump over to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, through verse 28, it says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's sins this for this he did once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever and of course, that oath that, of course, we understand that comes through um, Psalm 110, where it says, you are a priest forever. You know, the Lord has sworn and will not relent that you are this priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So I want you to see that what we do as we go through this is we're going to be reminded over and over again that men have weaknesses. It's just a reality. However, the beautiful thing is this. Before we got into chapter 28, remember, we finished chapter 27, and we spent the whole study on verses 20 and 21, which was what? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're not left alone. We have literally God who comes and dwells inside of us, God who directs us, God who empowers us, God who leads us to the Word, to the power, to the ministry, that we can glorify God. So we're not left alone. So just so you, when you think, wow, we have weaknesses, oh my goodness, what do we do? No, God has given you already the power through the Holy Spirit, which is why that is first. And now we come to what our ministries are. So let's take a look here at where we begin to see this. I want you to see first and foremost a pattern. It says in verse 1, Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel. And it says this, That he may minister to me. Not minister for me. Not minister because of me. That he may minister to me. The key to the priesthood, the key, the key to any ministry is this is unto God. This is for your glory, not for mine, not, not for my place. This is for your glory. And if that becomes the basis of your ministry, 
then everything begins to change. Then you understand why Jesus talked about what we call the golden rule, where it says do unto others as you would have do others have others do unto you. Don't wait for others to do it, and then you do it, but you become the initiator. You do it first, and you don't do it because they do it. Do unto others what you would have them do, not do unto others if they do. Do you understand the difference? So what happens is this, when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, he doesn't love his wife because she's submitting unto him as unto the Lord. It doesn't make a difference if she's not at all, if she's, you love your wife because you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And your ministry in giving him glory is simply loving the woman that he's put into your life. And of course, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. If you haven't figured that out, I'll lead you into scripture um, because that's what God proclaims. And so, but what happens is this, we, because it's not fitting our mentality, we think it's an if then. You simply love your wife and you do what God called you to do as a husband, regardless of what your wife does, because you're doing it unto Jesus Christ. You're doing it for his glory. Wives, you're ministering unto your husbands, giving him respect. And you're, you're doing that because Jesus Christ died for you. But my husband's not loving me as Christ loved the church. That's secondary. What your ministry is, is unto Jesus. Your ministry is you died for me. You told me, all right, submit unto this man, respect this man. I will do so in a way that you lead me to that brings you glory. And so amazing, we begin to see that our ministries aren't because someone does it to us first. What we see here in verse 1 is that he may minister to me. I want you to see verse 3. So you shall speak to Aaron, all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me. Now understand, if God says something once, listen to it. If he says something twice, now you really got to pay attention to it. However, if you scroll down to verse 4, and it says, And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and an ash, and a sash, so that they may make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. When God goes through the effort to say something three times, believe it. The key, the foundation of any ministry is ministering to God. You do what you do to glorify God, and all of a sudden you're going to realize, okay, Lord, now I recognize this is what you called me to do. So the problem is, is this. That so often, we as men, we have weaknesses. I, I don't see my ministry as giving God glory. I see my ministry as lessening who I am as a person. I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that understanding. Well, understand that, that as a person, you've been purchased. You are no longer your own, therefore we glorify God. Now, keep in mind, he hasn't called us to be doormats. We've talked about those things before. But he has called us to seek him 
and do it in such a way that he's glorified. And so when men see what you do, our Father in heaven is glorified. This is the key. And so as we see this, I just want you to recognize first and foremost that this is what the ministry is. That they may minister to me as the priest or as the people that I've set in this position. And so he says, Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Now, as we see this, I want you to understand that the next thing that they're going to make is they're going to make this external, there's going to be this area of this garment. Now, I want you to understand that what this garment is, is this. This garment is for two things. It's for glory and it is for beauty. We've already covered that word glory, that kabod, the heaviness, the weightiness of God. And then the beauty, this is the first use of the word beauty. That term beauty is, is from the, the root word of ornament. So if you saw something that's ornamental, it's, it's specifically crafted to be beautiful. Um, ornaments that you put on your Christmas tree, specifically crafted to be beautiful. These are the things that he says, it's for glory and for beauty. And so the garments that you're making are for God's glory and it's the kabod, the weightiness, and it's for beauty. It, it's a representation of what my ministry is to really understand, God, this is for you. This is for your glory. Now, I do want to share with you a couple of things for those of you who are familiar with the high priestly garments. And we'll be looking at, you know, the breastplate, the ephod, the robe, and the tunic, and the turban, and the sash in just a moment. But I do want to jump right now to verse 40 so that you can understand a, a, a basic about what this beauty is and what this kabod is. In verse 39 and verse 40, it makes a statement, you shall skillfully weave a tunic of linen thread and you shall make the turban of linen, of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron and his sons, you shall make tunics and you shall make sashes for them. And you shall make hats for them, for glory and for beauty. Now we are going to see how the high priests are going to have all of these layers and layers upon their ministry. But now when you get to verse 39 and 40, all it is is a plain robe, a plain hat, and a plain sash. Glory and beauty can sometimes be very simple. And I love that about the ministry. The ministry doesn't have to be overly complex, doesn't have to be overly ornate. Glory and beauty can be sometimes in the simplest things. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. When husbands say, you know what? Can we pray together? Simple, beautiful, powerful. These kind of things, you don't need extravagant, you don't need you know, all the, the little details, sometimes the most simplest of the ministries can be for glory and for beauty. I love what we do. We, in as we start our service, we open up in prayer. It's not overly complicated. It's not 
sitting down, kneeling down, standing up, up and down. It's just, let's pray. And so someone prays and they pray that our heart is directed to Jesus. And then we stand and we worship God. And it isn't overly complicated. We, we, we worship and we worship and we worship. And, and, and by the time that we get done worshiping, our hearts are ready for the word. Our hearts have been prepared. We've been worshiping, singing songs that are, are just stimulating our mind, moving our heart, and, and, and moving our emotions to the point that, that we are just in love with God. And if you come to the place of worship and, and you're missing that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you because worship is sometimes, it can be grand and amazing, but sometimes it can be just simple and beautiful. And that, God says, is for glory and beauty as well. And then we simply come up, and, and I know I don't have PowerPoints. I know I don't have only three points. Uh, and, and I know it isn't you know, overly refined in a lot of ways, but it's simply just reading the Word of God and saying, this is what it says. Over and over again, here's what it says, here's what it says. And we go through this, and then we look to other scriptures and say, you see what this says? It says the same thing as this, only it adds a little bit more. And, and sometimes just simplicity. It, it, it isn't this, this uh, not weaving in stories of my life and stories of my kids and, and stories that, that you know, draw attention to it, unless you do a parable. Then the whole message is a, is a story. But I think it's important to realize that this whole area, make holy garments for Aaron and his brother for glory and for beauty. Sometimes glory and beauty can be ornate. Sometimes glory and beauty can be simple. But when it's given unto the Lord and it's done in the right way, understand, weightiness and beauty. And so that this term beauty means ornamental. It's done in a way to perfected design of beauty and it can be very simple a white garment is now a design of beauty that God says as it's worn in a way that honors him and so in verse 3 he says so you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garment to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest I want you to see here that what verse 3 begins to talk about is you're going to speak to all who are gifted artisans. I want you to understand that what happens in the ministry is this. Too many ministries believe that it's going to be, I'm going to choose someone, we're going to bring them up, we're going to anoint them, and then we're going to put that Spirit of God on them, and then they're going to walk in that ministry that we have called them to. We don't do things that way. What we do is this. We sit back and we see who God's already gifted. He's already gifted a person with this. He's already gifted a person with that. And all we do is we bring them up. We lay hands on them, anoint them, but it's in the form of identification. We don't make them elders, deacons, servants. We simply say God's already done this. We're acknowledging God has made you an elder, a deacon, a servant. And so this is what we see. And I want you to see that verse 3 brings that out. 
So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. There's already a direction. God's already given them the ministry. He's already given them the understanding. And so God has already gifted and God has already called them. All Moses is going to do is talk to them. And you realize what happens is I have to recognize that I am a witness that God's already done this outside of me. And so Moses has his ministry. Aaron will have his ministry. But again, these gifted artisans will have their ministry. And this is part of the whole body of Christ, that each one of us have a part of that ministry. I'm so grateful that God didn't make Aaron sow his own stuff. You know, it's like, you know, we're going to have these guys. Don't worry, Aaron. You, you focus on, on me. These other guys will help come along and deal with all the other stuff so that you can focus on me. And I think sometimes that's the key to ministry. The scripture teaches us that God has given us pastors, teachers, evangelists, um, prophets. He's given us these people to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And what happened was there in the early church that they had raised up deacons so that they could simply wait on tables so that the, the apostles could give themselves over to the word of God and for prayer, that they could focus on their part of the ministry while others focused on their part of the ministry. It's the whole body of Christ. And so there are um, churches, and I'm so grateful that this group is not one of those that believe that all the ministry has to be done by the pastor. You know, we recognize that there's a ministry. The ministry is out there. We are all part of this ministry. Mine is to, to look to the word of God and to bring it forth through the spirit and to equip us so that we can go in power, go in, in confidence to realize this is how my ministry looks and I want to give it, give God glory in it. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing that we see there that understand what happens is that he says, speak to all who are the gifted artisans whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. Aaron, you're not the big kahuna, you know. Moses, you're not the big one. You're not the one that does it all. I'm going to use the entirety of the children to do the work that I need to do so that the ministry to me can be key. And then in verse 4, it says something unique. And these are the garments that they shall make. How unique is that? Well, I want us to count them for just a second. One, the breastplate. Two, an ephod. Three, a robe. Four, a skillfully woven tunic. Five, a turban. And lo and behold, six, a sash. Six, the number of man. The number of weakness. The number of flaw. And I love the fact that he said, these are the garments. And, and he says, and, and you are going to have six garments and that being the number of man, that being the number of weakness as we've already looked at. And I find it interesting that, you know, we've already looked at the key that when God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in the ministry, you already have a garment that shows flaw. You already have a garment that shows weakness. The beautiful thing is the one thing that he doesn't mention that's mentioned in this chapter, which is a seventh thing. 
that's not mentioned in this group, but it's mentioned in this chapter, and it's going to be part of it that no man sees, that no man witnesses. And so we recognize that in our ministry, we have weakness, but we also, like the end of chapter 27, we have the Holy Spirit. We have a Holy Spirit. I want to take you to just a second to kind of give you an idea of what that seventh item is. In Exodus 28, verse 30, it makes this statement, you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord, so Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Now we're going to look at what this Urim and Thummim is. I don't want to take the time to do it now, but understand the term is lights and perfections. Most scholars believe that it's a white stone or a black stone. <clears throat> and that he will reach into his breastplate as he asks God a question. God, what is your heart? And all of a sudden he's going to pull out, is this your heart? Is this the person? Is that the person? Is this the tribe? Is that the tribe? And that God would guide the priest's hand to either the white stone or the, 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 the black stone. And so um, that's a belief. There are others who believe that God supernaturally, when they pull them out, lit up the black or the white stone. That one of the two would glow supernaturally. That you would pull them out and there'd be no doubt in your mind, black one's glowing, you know, this isn't you. White one's glowing, this is you. You know, the, the go forward, don't go forward, these kind of things. And so that's the seventh that's part of it that you don't see. And the beautiful thing that I love is he says, here's the garments, there's six of them. The number of man, the number of weakness. But there's always, when anyone sees us in our ministry, they're going to see weakness. When you look at me in the ministry, you see weakness. You look at you in your ministry, you see weakness. But we have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit puts in the seventh item, the seventh being the number of completion, the ministry is able to give God glory. And so I love the heart of this. But So we see in verse 4, these are the garments which they shall make, the breastplate, the ephod, the robe, the skillfully woven tunic, the turban, and a sash, so that they shall, and so they shall make the holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. So we have now these six items. Let's go through them as the scriptures open it up. Now, understand that as it talks about this breastplate and an ephod, it is actually going to change the order as we go through it. And the first thing that the Spirit directs us to is the ephod. Now, as the, the listing is, it goes from the outside to the inside, as you would see it. But now the ephod, this is how God says, these are the things that I want you to recognize that I'm going to set this in another order, not as men sees it, but as I see it. So the ephod, verse six, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges. And so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. Then, verse 9, you shall take two onyx stones. Those are a deep black stone. 
and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, six names on the other stone in order of their birth, with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold, verse 11, verse 12, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make settings of gold, and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. So all this does is talk about an ephod. Now the ephod is going to be an article of clothing that is going to go over the robe. There's the, the robe that goes underneath, that's the, the cloth that he wears. And so then on top of that, there's going to be an ephod. Now this ephod, verse 6 says, make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, artistically worked. So we see the colors again, gold. There's actually going to be gold thread that is, is gold being so thin, it becomes a thread that is weaved in, gold being the metal of heaven, blue being the color of heaven, we talked about that, purple being the color of royalty, scarlet being the color of redemption, of course, fine woven linen, white, which is that purity, um, and all this is artistically worked. So you're gonna have all of these colors weaved in to this, in a sense, it's an outer covering. It would be like a front and back apron. In other words, there's a cloth on the front, there's a cloth on the back, and what we see is there's shoulder straps. So you'd put it simply over your head, and you got a front piece and a back piece, and of course you have the gold chains that you'll attach it to. So that's what we're seeing. It's simply that. And so if you follow that, they're going to make this ephod of gold, blue, purple, <coughs> scarlet thread, fine woven linen, artistically work. The guy's already gifted the artisans to do it in such a way that's going to glorify God. Verse 7, you have the two shoulder straps joined into two edges, so it should be joined together. So basically you have a front piece, back piece, the shoulder straps that will just allow it to go over your head and rest on your shoulders. The intricately woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be the same workmanship. So your strap is of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. So that part seems to be pretty... Um, understandable. Now understand that as these things here, according to verse 6, says this, you're going to make this ephod, and one of the things that we see is it's going to be artistically worked. It is going to be purposefully set up. It's not going to be random. In other words, there is a purpose for what we do and how we do it. It's not random. Now, of course, in 1 Corinthians 14.40, we see how to do the ministry um, decently and in order. Nothing is random. Nothing is outside. So it's not like randomly we just decided to pray. We do nothing before we pray. 
If we're not praying about God here, our whole time is, is, is wasted. We worship. We set our hearts in, 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 in motion. Then we set our brains in gears. We look to the Word. But all these things are artistically worked. There's nothing that's random that we do in this service. Nothing. When I talk to you about, for those of you that are note-takers, do you think that's random? No, I'm trying to convince you to become note-takers. Not to say, oh, I wonder who among here is a note-taker. It's really a thing to say, if you're not a note-taker, become a note-taker. These things are important. Why? Because you can go back and, and, and insert certain things in your Bible that when you come back and read, you go, oh, yeah, that, that's right. This is a reference. This is perfect. I can look to this. And I, I want you to understand that, that we see all of this is artistically work. There was nothing random about what they did. It was all spirit-led perfectly. The other thing is this. Within this ephod, it's this outward covering. Of course, you have the cloth in the front, the cloth in the back, the straps to hold it on, and the gold chains. But then it says this in verse 9. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of the names on the stones and six names on the other stones in order of their birth. Now, I want you to understand that it's not in order of who I like best. It's, it's simply like this. It's going to be according to the birth. So, so don't think that I like this person best or this. It's just he's the first, he's the second, he's the third. So you have six and six. Regardless of who the mother was, um, you're going to have all 12, six on one, six on another according to their birth. And I want you to understand something else about these stones. That these stones are black. They're absolutely black. And uniquely about them is this. It makes a statement in verse 11. When you engrave it with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. You got a black stone in a setting of gold. In other words, you got like man's true nature. And then you have what God says, here's my nature that surrounds you. Here's my nature that's there. The amazing thing about the onyx stone, of course, you, you know that the onyx is, is simply a black stone. The, the unique thing is this. You, you have this, this heavenly metal that holds it together, the heavenly metal that holds it on. And then these stones are then placed on the shoulders of the high priest. Uniquely, I want you to see what these stones are in verse 12. It says this, You shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones. These stones are to draw the memory. Now, just so you don't think that, oh, why, did God forget? Did the priest forget? No. Let's read a little further again in verse 12. You shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as the memorial stones for the sons of Israel. The children of Israel need to recognize the, the memorial. These names are on the shoulders of the high priest. 
It's his shoulders that are carrying. The, the shoulders, of course, are that, that type of security and strength. You know, when, when we say you got a lot of weight on your shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6 puts it this way. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He's going to bear the weight, the security there. Um, so when you have a heavy load, odds are you're going to set up on your shoulder and that's where you carry it. And when you have a heavy load and you're dragging it, it's choppy. You have a load on your shoulders and you can pretty much walk smoothly as you do that. But I want you to see here, it's important that these were there so the people would be reminded that they are there on the priests of the shoulders. Think about this. When it, one of the children of Israel would want to give a sacrifice so that his sins could be taken care of, where would he bring it? He'd bring it to the priests. You understand? I, it's not me who's doing this. I have to come through another. I have to come through a mediator. And I come through the priest. And I recognize that, that, that here, I recognize that they are bearing my burdens. They are the ones who are doing the work that I cannot do. And so when I see this, Yes, it, it's so important to recognize that when we minister, we, we bear the weight. We bear the weight of the ministry, even, and we recognize that I'm ministering to you in your weakness. You're ministering to me in my weakness, and in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. This is what it's all about. It's not about me saying, oh, look at how strong I am. I've made that mistake plenty of times in my marriage thinking I got to show my wife that I'm strong and she's just like, okay, good, do it. Now, when I realize I can't do it and I go to her and say, I just have no ability, then all of a sudden she can come alongside and she can minister. But when I'm strong and I can do it, why well, come alongside? You've got it covered. I don't need to you know, come alongside of you. That's the same thing that I think with God, the, those who are not sick. We don't have need of a physician, but when you do, you recognize, I, I need you. And every time we think we need God, he's there. But it's an important thing, I want you to recognize that here you have black stones and setting of gold. And, and uniquely about the onyx stone is this, that when you shine a light on an onyx stone, it becomes beautiful. And the brighter the light on the onyx stone, the more beauty that it has. Um, which is amazing. And that's kind of true with all precious gems. So understand, they try to make a background dark, put a very bright light on it so they sparkle and shine. And, and so it's an amazing thing that on this ephod that basically you have the garment, all of the, the, the colors of heaven, sacrifice, and then it's simply one side, a backside connected by a gold chain, and of course, the keys being the ephods with the, the names of the children or the, the onyx stones on the shoulders of the ephod with the names of the children engraved in, this, in the settings of gold. And it's just this beautiful thing that it's a memorial to the sons of Israel. It's for you to remember where you are and what these priests are doing. They're setting you upon their, their shoulders. It's, it's there. They become your security and your strength. And so um, I just love the, the fact that, that, you know, we recognize the weight of the ministry. Doesn't God simply tell us what? We bear one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. 
And it is so important to, to do that. As we pray for one another, we're bearing one another's burdens. As we're, we're recognizing where are the needs and as God calls us to reach out and do so, we do it in the way that he prescribes and the way that he enables us. And so it's just this beautiful sign that the ephod is first and where you see the names on the shoulders, the, the, this is what you're doing. You are holding them up. And, and, and recognize that whoever it is in your ministry, that God is, is saying, you know what, I, I want you to recognize you're holding them up, that in, in their, their, their weakness, you're going to become a strength as the Lord leads you. And it's just a beautiful part of the ministry. Next we see in verse 15 is the breastplate. You shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, Blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, a span shall be its width, and you shall put settings of stone in four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper, and they shall be set in gold settings. The stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with his own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold, and you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. And you shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate, on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. And two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right and at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as memorial before the Lord continually. Second item. As we see the second item, the first, you know, was the ephod, was that, that apron that goes over the robe. Now, on top of that ephod, there is this breastplate. And the breastplate, according to verse 15, is this. You shall make a breastplate of judgment. Oh, my goodness, you just ruined it for me. Here I thought, it's over the heart. And it's a breastplate of judgment. Now, understand that judgment can either be favorable or unfavorable. See, judgment is this legal term. And it means it's a verdict. That's what a judgment is. You can have a positive verdict or you can have a negative because judgment isn't always bad. Judgment in the legal sense simply means it's a verdict. So it's the breastplate of a verdict. 
And, and I want you to recognize same color, same metals that was there. Verse 16 says, it shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and the span shall be its width. Now a span is that measurement between your, your, your finger and your, your pinky, between the thumb and the pinky. That's the span. To most people, it's right around eight to nine inches. And so that's what you're looking at. It's a span of, of eight to nine inches wide, eight to nine inches high. It's doubled over. Each one of them have what we see here. There are going to be four rows of three. Their first row of three, second row of three, third row of three, fourth row of three. There are 12 different stones. Each one is going to have a name of the children of Israel, has a name of one of the tribes. Those stones are going to be set into the ephod in its row, and the row is going to be set, the, the stone will also be set in a setting of gold. Now, there are a lot of people, and I have tried and tried, just it has been, I'm, I'm not slacking and putting effort in this. There is not any clear way you can say this tribe is this stone, this tribe is this, I, I tried. You just can't do it. You can recognize this, that in the book of Numbers, it talks about how there are four directions, north, south, east, and west. And in those directions, there are three tribes going to the north, three tribes going to the south, three tribes going to the east, three tribes going to the west. And those tribes are all named in the book of Numbers. They're all numbered in the book of Numbers. So you can see how, how long that span is that these tribes that are camping to the north, how long the tribe is, the tribes are that are camping to the south, and how far the tribes are basically that are camping in the east and the west. You can see that, and the measurement uniquely, if you took the, 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 the tribes and the amount of the thousands that are there, and you put the thousands and the inches, it basically looks like the form of a cross, which is amazing. Um, one thing that I have done is this, um, and I, I've looked at books and I've looked at them and, and they're, I found that most people are just kind of quacked in, in how they think about this and I don't, I don't buy into a lot of the, the, the theories, but I can tell you this, there is a passage in Revelation chapter 21 and I want to share it with you. In Revelation 21, I want to read just one verse to you, verse 19. It says this, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. So you have 12 foundations, 12 different stones. And in verse 19 says, the first foundation was Jasper. I want to stop there. The first was Jasper. I want you to go back to our text. And I want you to see here in verse 20, the fourth row. The very last row, the very last stone, in the fourth row there is a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. Something like the last will be first. <laughs> and I love the heart that in heaven the last is first, first is last. And so I have found that that is biblical, that I can stand on, that I can find more than one passage to, to, to break that up. But I do want you to see here that, that it simply says here are all the stones. Each stone has the, the name of a tribe. And this is going to be, and I want you to see here, that verse 29 says this. Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. 
when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord completely. It is so important that the key to ministry are the people over your heart continually. If that's not the case, then your ministry is not going to be to the glory of God. But if the people are over your heart continually or upon your heart continually, then your ministry is going to be God-glorifying. And I think it's important because, you know, when, when I recognize, for me, the people that are on my heart, as I pray for each and every one of you individually, and I realize, wow, they're on my heart. And God gives me certain things to pray for each one of you as, we go, as I go through the, the times of prayer. And, and, and so it's beautiful. I pray for all kinds of people, not just the people in the church, but other people that God has put up on my path. But they're over my heart. They're on my heart continually. And amazingly, as I pray for a certain group of people at the beginning of the day, they stay on my heart just through the day, like scripture. You read it early in the morning, it stays on your heart. And it's just a neat thing to do that as you want to realize, well, who should I pray with? One, the people that are right around you, and then look around you. And then the people that God brings into your path, those are the people. But the key being is the breastplate of judgment is over his heart. And I think this is where the, the, the basic, the, the key to ministry is. And, and so I want you to take a look at verse 29 and 30 because we've talked about, you know, when God says something once, pay attention. When he says something twice, really pay attention. When he says something the third time, it's pretty much foundational. But in verse 29 it says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. Verse 30. And you should put the... The breastplate, you should put in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Three times he says this. So understand, the key to ministry, have it upon your heart. Have this person upon your heart. Have the prayer being upon your heart. And recognize that it is judgment. And, and not just judgment as far as guilty, guilty, guilty. Sometimes the judgment is favorable. Do you know how I judge people? Well, we have, we have different ways of judge them. You can judge them by who they are. You are a black onyx. Or you can judge them by you're in a setting of gold. You understand that, that when, you, when you judge someone, I judge who they are in Christ. I judge who they are in the setting of gold. I see, I see Jesus, and I see as the light shines on a black stone, it becomes this thing of beauty. And as the light shines on us, imperfectly, we become a thing of beauty. But it's, it's his light that's reflecting, and that's the most amazing thing. So realize here that this is where each and every person, each and every child is going to be upon his heart. Now, we see the Urim and the Thummim. It begins this, and you shall put in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. This Urim and Thummim, we don't know exactly what they are. The term literally means lights and perfection. Two passages I want to give you. The first is found in Numbers chapter 27, verse 21, and it says this, He shall stand before Eliezer, the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim, that 
at his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So the Urim and Thum are for direction, therefore clarification, and I think it's important for us to understand that. There's a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 6, that says this, When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. God wasn't speaking to Saul at all. Now, how does the Urim and Thum work? I don't know exactly. I don't know whether they glowed supernaturally. I don't know if he reached in and pulled out a white stone, pulled out a black stone, but I can tell you what happens, how God is able to do something. There's a passage in Joshua chapter 7. I want to share with you verses 16 through 20 so that you kind of grab onto this. But it says this, so Joshua rose early in the morning. This is when Achan sinned. And he brought Israel out by the tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. All of a sudden, 12 tribes are there, God picks Judah. Does he go, you know, is it, is it, is it the tribe of, of, of Simeon? Blackstone. Is it the tribe of Levi? Blackstone. You know, you can see, so all of a sudden, Judah. Whitestone. Oh, it's Judah. Do you understand how something like this could be? Or the high priest goes up and the stone that says Judah glows supernaturally. Oh, it's Judah. How do we do that? So we don't know exactly, but Judah was chosen. And then it says this, and he took the family of the Tsarites, and he brought the family of the Tsarites, the man, and Zabdi was taken. He brought the house of the man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the God of Israel and make confession to him. Of all the tribes, they went to Judah, and then by set, by set, by set, so you go to Judah, and then you go to Zerah, and then you go to Zabdi, and then you go to Carmi, and then you go to Achan. And he knew the person who sinned. He says, give God glory and confess. So I don't know exactly how all that transpired, but I do know that God is able to make his will known through this thing called the Urim and Thurim, through life's imperfection. That much we know. The rest is speculation. I have to be honest, it's just speculation. It is lights and perfection. That's all we know. Whether they're stones, whether they're something else, there are two things called the herb and thum. God used these to communicate through the high priest what his will was. Now, the next thing that we see is this. As we go further, we begin to see after the herb and thum, now verse 31, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. This one's not of white, it's of blue. And there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. So in other words, it's not where you tie it. It's not where you wrap around it. It's a full robe. And in, in the same way, like with, the, the, um, with Jesus and his robe, they didn't want to tear it, so they cast lots who it belongs to. So it's just something that you pull over your head. And that's what this robe is. It's not tied as a sash. You make it where there's an opening for his head in the middle of it. You shall have woven binding all around its openings like the opening of a coat of mail so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, scarlet all around its hem and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem and the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers that its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. So here's the thing. 
you've got these pomegranates. In other words, it's the, the pomegranate is you have a cloth that comes down and it turns into a ball and then it has little tassels on it. We've all seen those kind of things. And this is what it is, that's the pomegranate. It's a ball with a tassel. All of these are going to be a different colors. You're gonna have a blue one, a purple one, and a scarlet one all around the hem. And in between each of these pomegranates gonna be little bells. So every time he moves, the bell is gonna go. And it says in verse 35, and it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, its sounds will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out that he may not die. It's interesting that people use this as the, um, there's an old saying that says they had tied a, a rope around the priest's ankle. That when he goes into the holy place, if they realize, oh, the bells aren't working, he's dead, they just kind of yank him out because no one could go in and no one could figure out what was going on. And what we see is this, that the, the key to what this is saying is, all right, now we have this, this ministry of activity that there should always be the sound of, I'm constantly doing my ministry. I'm not taking a break from the ministry. It's always what I do. This is what I, it is part of it. And so we see that here, the beauty of, of this, this ministry is where it's this constant moving that we begin to see here. And so I, I love the heart of it. It's where Aaron is moving, and, and, and what it talks about is that that ministry has to be a constant. You don't stop doing the ministry. You, do the, you stop doing the ministry and what happens? You shrivel up. Have you ever noticed that when God calls you to do a ministry, you don't do the ministry, that you just dry up inside? And this is what he's saying is there. Let's kind of keep going so that we can finish it. I'm a little bit long tonight, but I want to finish this chapter. Verse 36, he says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of signet holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban and maybe on the front of the turban. So now you're going to make a, a plate. It'd be a crown. And the crown says, holiness to the Lord. The very front of your mind, the very front of the, the top of it is this crown. It's a plate that says it's the holiness of the Lord. Your mind needs to be on the holiness of God and only that. Verse 37 put on a blue cord, and it may be on the turban and on the front of the turban, and so it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things with the children of Israel hallow in their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So what Aaron has to realize that everything he's looking at, God says, I'm making it holy. This is a beautiful thing. When it's there on that front of his forehead, it's one of those things where when I'm looking at someone and I think, flawed? No, God's making it holy. You see the sacrifice, God has made it holy. Whatever you see, and that's why I love it says in verse 38, which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. <coughs> it's always going to be before his forehead so that they may be accepted. And, and I think this is the heart. When you see that person that you're ministering to, for God, that recognize I'm doing this unto you and you're doing a work in them, you're going to make them holy. And now verse 39 through 43. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of the linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen. You shall make the sash of woven work. So now we see the turban, the sash also being placed for Aaron's sons, you shall make the tunics 
You shall make sashes for them. You shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. Simplicity now. You shall put them on Aaron and on your brother and on his sons with them. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness, that they, they shall reach from the waist to the thighs. In other words, these are holy boxer shorts. That's what they are. You know, they're, they're not the Mormon underwear. I'm not saying that. But they're, they're, they're to the waist, to, to your thighs. They're, they're to cover. Um, and, and to make sure that, you know what, that everything is of God. And so we see here, he says, I'm covering everything. And so, verse 43, and they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. So there's always this covering. So if the wind comes and lifts up your robe, you're covered. You know, there, there, there's none of that where, oh, wow, guess what just happened? So God makes sure no accidents can happen. You're covered from head to toe. And it's just this beautiful thing to recognize the outward work, the outward covering of what our ministries are. So, Father, we are so grateful for who you are and how you work this word, the beauty of it. And, Lord, we do ask that you would just take the things that we've learned tonight and, and, and impress it upon our hearts. That whatever we do, Lord, we want to do it unto you. We want to do it to you. Not, 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 not for you, to you. It's our gift. It's our direction. It's our calling. It's our motivation. It's our foundation. And Father, we are so grateful that, that you make us look beyond the outer. You make us look beyond. Everything is in settings of gold and settings of gold. And we realize that as we are in you, Jesus, we are black stones in setting of gold or, or a stone with our name on it in a setting of gold. It's always what you do to make us beautiful. And so we're so grateful that, that Lord, you've taught us what the ministry is, Jesus. We are on your heart. We know that we were on your heart when you went to the cross. It was for us. And in every one of us individually, and Father, help us to do that as, as we minister to one another. Help us to pray for each other individually and to recognize that this is what puts that person upon our heart. As we pray for them, our hearts change. So Father, do the work in us. Help us to read through this passage and the next one continually, Lord, as we grow to understand what our ministry is and how this ministry just represents you, Jesus. We just want to do what you've done. Like that old saying, what would Jesus do? What have you done? And we just want to imitate you, Lord, and then have others imitate us as we imitate you. May our ministries reflect you as you gave glory to the Father. We ask this in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.